Welcome to Crossbridge Brickle's weekly podcast. Whether you are listening to us for the first time or revisiting a previously heard message, thank you for listening, and we hope that the time that you spend with us helps connect your life to the way of Jesus. Every week we gather in the south end of downtown Miami in the financial district of Brickle. If you're in Miami or coming to Miami to visit, make sure to join us Sunday nights at 5 o'clock at 1770 Brickle Avenue. Included with the podcast today, we want to provide online notes for you to follow along with the message through the Bible app, as well as our Spotify playlist to listen to our music played during our gathering on the weekends. All of this information is found in the description of this week's podcast. If you have any questions about Crossbridge, Jesus, or faith in general, we would love to hear from you, and the easiest way to connect with us is by emailing us at brickle at crossbridgemiami.com or send us a text to our text-in number at 305 305- Nine three zero seven zero zero six. Once again, thank you for tuning in. And now here's this week's message from Crossbridge Brickle. God, we are grateful for this time to gather together as your people and to close out what has been a challenging uh, five weeks as we've looked at focusing on your mission, focusing on the message focusing on people, focusing on change. And tonight, God, we get to see what you promised to do. When we take your mission seriously, Jesus, when we really believe what you say and we live courageous and we live different and we take up the adventure of faith. And so we pray that you would excite us, that you would challenge us, that you would humble us, Uh, Most of all, God, that we would just see your mercy and your grace to us and all that you have in store for this city. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm glad to be here with you all this evening and to, I think we lost a light. If someone's on that side, if you want to just plug in the cord. Oh, Oh, breaker's out. So I'll just hide on this side. Over here, everyone can see me better. Breaker died. It's okay. Jesus' word never fails. That was supposed to be funny and no one laughed. Um, Anyways, uh, we are closing out our series uh, entitled Focus One. We've looked at focusing on the mission of Jesus, the message of Jesus, focusing on people and focusing on change. And tonight we're going to be looking at what does it look like when the church and the message of Jesus goes viral. Now, before we jump into the series, I wanted to read our mantra of this series. It isn't just for the series, but as Pastor Tommy said, is really for the entire year. It is a mission statement. It is our prayer that we would be a church that embodies this statement. So can we read it together? Are you down for that? All right. Um, one person. Are we, can we read it together? Okay, there we go. Let's, if you go to the next slide, it's made it a little bit larger. You want to f- flip on over. If we, there we go. Um, let's read this together, okay? One life focused for one year on one message to make a difference in one city through the life of one person. It's a focus on our city, on people, on the mission of Jesus, and on the message of Jesus. And what we pray and what we believe is that when we gather together as God's church, as God's people, and when we really do, in fact, focus on what Jesus calls us to as he gives the very last charge and commandment to his disciples, to his church even, which is to go and make disciples of all nations, that when we engage that, when we believe that, when we take up the adventure of faith, the gospel of Jesus, the message of Jesus will go viral. 
in your company, in your neighborhood, here in Brickell, in Miami at large, in your social circles, and even in your families. We really do believe that. You see, we are in a place in life where we are constantly never bored. And the message of Jesus we've been saying is not boring at all. I remember a time back in the day when boredom was free. Do you remember that? When it just was always bored. Uh, everybody was bored. You didn't have a phone that you could have access to a million different things. You didn't have a million different viral sensations flooding your brain all the time. We literally now are not bored enough that we actually pay people to make us bored. We go on a farm and we say, hey, can you like use me as a farm worker and I'm going to milk some cows and I'm going to do some things so I can just like live a simple life. We go on digital detox retreats and we pay a bunch of money for someone to take our phone away from us. I mean, we just want to be bored because we're always on. There's so much noise. There's so much stimulation. There's so much access. This is how conversations used to go back in the day. Somebody would come up to you and they would say, hey, did you hear about or do you know about such and such? And you'd say, no, I never heard of that. Conversation was over. That's it, over. Maybe you would say, well, let me go home and check my encyclopedia and see if it's in there. Some of you don't even know what an encyclopedia is. I mean, that's, that's wild. You can Google it, okay? Now we have access to everything. What is an encyclopedia? It is a very limited smartphone is what it is. But we're always on, we're constantly engaged with all kinds of noise and, and some great information that we have access to and just some really uh, mindless things, these things that get uh, kind of in the zeitgeist of our culture, we call them viral sensations. I want to show you uh, two of them that just make no sense to me. Uh, the first one is this dog, okay? His name is Dog, I think. He's become a meme. So here's what happened. Someone just took a picture of their dog and uploaded it, and now this dog is all over the world, and people are using him for all different types of things. Maybe you've made a meme out of Dog before, and then we have the dress, okay? You remember the dress, the, the cultural debate, friendships were lost, families were severed. At what color is the dress? Raise your hand if you think the dress is black and blue. Raise your hand if you think it's white and gold. Okay. If you think it's white and gold, you're insane. I don't understand how that is white and gold. I mean, this makes no sense. We're going to have this whole debate again. We can have that after service. We'll debate the dress in the back. These viral sensations are crazy. I mean, people are TikToking all over the place. I don't even know what TikTok is. It's, I, they're TikToking. I, I mean, that's what's happening. There's all these type of viral sensations in our culture that captivate our minds. And yet, when we look at things of substance, there are, in fact, times where things of substance go viral. And as we look at the message of Jesus and we look at Christianity, it has a long history, actually, of going viral. The very first century, the church grew and exploded. It went viral in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And then as it kind of went out throughout the Roman Empire, the fourth century, the church went viral as really the Roman Empire became a Christian nation. In the 16th century, during the time of the Reformation, the church went viral. The 18th century in England with the revivals, the church went viral. And yet we are experiencing something very different in the West, in America, in Miami, declining church attendance, people that not only have, see no desire, uh, see no reason to go to church or to give credence to the Word of God, but also people who 
just believe that there is no God whatsoever, and just kind of this makeshift, make-your-own-religion environment that we live in and we're all familiar with. But what is so interesting is that actually right now, in the Southern Hemisphere, the message of Jesus is going viral. It's going viral. A hundred years ago, 10% of Africa was Christian. Today, 50%. One in four Christians in the world are in Africa. Amazing. All of us are familiar with the population growth of Asia and India, of this whole continent that is just exploding. It seems like every city, you hear of a city you never heard of, you're like, there's probably 15 million people there, right? There's just people everywhere growing so fast. In the last century, with all of this incredible population growth in Asia, Christianity has grown at twice the rate of population growth. That is astounding. Twice the rate Christianity has grown in Asia of the population growth. Right below us, South America, Central America, Caribbean, long history of just kind of deep-rooted Catholicism. So People are just socially conditioned to go to church, but with not much significance. There is an explosion of mainly Pentecostal churches, but other denominations as well that are growing at three times the rate of the Catholic Church in South America. I remember I was on a train in India uh, several years back, and it was an overnight train, and it was one of the trains where just everyone has bunks all around you, and so I didn't get much sleep. I was awake, and I befriended the man that was literally right next to me. I mean, it's just a foot right there. So we struck up a conversation. It was this overnight train from Jodhpur into Delhi, and he was in his 20s. He lived in Delhi. He worked for one of the largest companies in India. And we began to talk about India and America and all different types of things. And then we began to discuss faith. He knew I was a pastor when he asked what I did. So we talked about faith and religion. We talked about Hinduism and Islam and Christianity. And he grew up Hindu, but he said that he now was an atheist. And it was a very interesting conversation. He said something that stuck with me and has never left. He said, the only religion that I'm even remotely interested in and that I've considered giving a shot is Christianity. Christianity is growing at twice the rate of the population growth of India. And And I said, why? It's very interesting that you would be so interested in Christianity. He said, it's because Christians really live out the mission that they say Jesus gave them. And they not only care for each other, but they care for people of other religions. They care for Hindus and Muslims and atheists like me. And they're loving and they're kind, but they're also convicted that the message of Jesus is true. I said, really? And he's, yeah, they're building hospitals, and they're building schools, and they're inviting all types of people in the community, trying to make the city and our country a better place. And he said, that, if there is a God, it has to look like that. His, his followers have to look like that. That's astounding. You see, the message of Jesus has a long history of going viral. It's currently going viral in the Southern Hemisphere. And yet we believe that that can never happen here. Uh, like that was in the past, that our time is in the past. But is that true? Of course it can happen here. See, God has a long history of that, and He is invested in every country, in every city, and in every church in the world, and he's calling us to really live out and take his mission seriously, and to trust him 
that as he makes his appeal through us, he will in fact bring about revival or the church will go viral. So interesting. And our passage tonight is on this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. Now, this is an example of a couple that really took the mission of Jesus seriously, focused on change, focused on people, focused on the message, and God used them in ways they could have never imagined. And you see, though we don't know why TikToking and the dress and the dog and all these other things go viral, we have no idea how that happens. We do know some of the factors that lead to Christianity and the message of Jesus going viral. Factors that we see in all the different times that has taken place. Factors that we see right now in the Southern Hemisphere and we also see here in the life of Priscilla and Aquila. Now, Priscilla and Aquila are Jews and they live in Rome. They're Jews who live in Rome, they're married, and they are businessmen and women. Very successful businessmen and women and we know that because everywhere they go, they buy a house. They have the ability to buy a home wherever they go. They're very successful. They are most likely traders or craftsmen and women, and they certainly have a business selling and manufacturing tents. We know that is one of the businesses that they do. And so they're living in Rome. They're married. They are successful. They are not full-time ministers. They are not pastors. They are just everyday normal businessmen and women. And we learn about them, not just here in Romans 16, but also in Acts chapter 18, and they're mentioned a few other times in the New Testament as well, as we can kind of piece together their story. But here, in verse 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul says this, as he writes this letter to the church in Rome, he says, greet Prisca, now Prisca is Priscilla, it's just a nickname, like Bob is for Robert, so greet Prisca, Priscilla, and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. He says, when you see them in church, when you see them around the city, when you see them in the marketplace, greet them, honor them, praise them, because they not only risk their necks for my life, they're not only dear to me, but all of the Gentiles All the churches full of Gentiles, non-Jews, owe them a great honor and give thanks to them as well. Something profound happened through their life. Now, what we know is that they're living in Rome. They're successful businessmen and women. And at some point in Rome, they had come to faith in Jesus. They're Jewish uh, by birth. But what was taking place during this time, it's the very beginning of the church, Jews are going from Rome back to Jerusalem, back and forth, back and forth, and some of the Jews that are coming back from Jerusalem are bringing the message of Jesus with them. They've come to faith in Christ as when they were in Jerusalem, and they're going back to Rome, and they're telling people in the synagogue. And the church begins to grow slowly in Rome, and many Jews are the first Christians there. Priscilla and Aquila are some of them. They come to faith in Jesus, and there's this small community that begins to grow rapidly. Now, it begins to grow so fast that the emperor, Claudius, thinks that the Christian faith is a cult of Judaism. He doesn't understand it, doesn't understand what's happening. He just knows they're causing a stir in his city, and he doesn't like that. And so he thinks, how do I remove this cult and all the stuff that they're talking about? They're a little bit different than Jews, but most of them are Jews. How do I fix the situation, and his thought is just kick all the Jews out of Rome. So Claudius kicks all the Jews out of Rome, and Priscilla and Aquila have to leave. 
They leave Rome and they go to Corinth. They're like, okay, we're metropolitan people, we're big city people, so they go to another big city, which is Corinth, and they set up their business, and they buy a house, and they begin to live in the city. When they're in Corinth, they providentially meet the Apostle Paul. They meet the Apostle Paul, who I'm sure they've heard about, and they begin to become friends with him. They build a relationship with him, and they help him in establishing the church in Corinth. After some time that they were there and using their home and their influence and their life alongside Paul and the church, they decide to go with Paul from Corinth on his way to Syria, eventually to Jerusalem. They're, they're really good friends. It's like, look, we're just going to go with you. We can help support you. We can come alongside you. On the journey to Syria, they stop in Ephesus, and we don't know why, but Priscilla and Aquila say, listen, we're going to stay here. Paul, you keep going. We think God's calling us here to Ephesus. So they get to Ephesus, they start a business, they buy a house, and they begin to live out the mission of Jesus. And what they do is they go to the synagogue, because this was how most Jews that have come to faith in Jesus would begin to share about Jesus and build relationships. They go to the synagogue to other Jews, and they listen, and they talk, and they interact. They meet a man there named Apollos. Now, Apollos is from Alexandria, and he is there for the same reason. He is a disciple of John the Baptist, and it says that Apollos is fervent in spirit. He is passionate. He is excited. He is on a mission, and he is teaching in the synagogue with all this passion and calling Jews to believe in Jesus, and he's building this movement of Christianity in Ephesus, and Priscilla and Aquila see so much potential in him, and they begin to build a friendship with him as well, and then it says they pull him aside, and they tell him this. The way that you're teaching about God is inaccurate. Imagine how that went over. Man of fervent spirit, great communicator, building this movement. And Priscilla and Aquila say, listen, I love all your passion. I love the excitement. We're on the same team here. But we need to teach you the way of God accurately. Now, Apollos, we know, is a man of humility because he receives it. He receives their mentorship. He receives that kind of critique. And he, they build this bond together where presumably Priscilla and Aquila are talking about where they were before in Corinth and what's happening in Corinth. And there's a lot of issues and struggles in the church there. And so Apollo says, okay, I'm going to go to Corinth. I'm going to help out. No one's there. Paul's not there. You're, you guys aren't there. I feel like God's calling me there. So Apollos goes to Corinth and his ministry is so successful that the apostle Paul has to write the letter 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth to address many other issues. But one of the issues is that a lot of people are saying, I stand with Paul. Other people are saying, I stand with Apollos. And Paul says, it's not about Apollos. It's not about me. We're all the same team. It's about giving glory to God. And they mention Priscilla and Aquila as well in 1 Corinthians. Now, after some time, the ban is lifted from Rome. And so Priscilla and Aquila are finally able to go home. They go back to Rome and they see that the church has exploded because the Gentiles there, the non-Jews there, had really taken the mission of Jesus seriously. And the church had grown to where we read this letter, Romans. See, Priscilla and Aquila are behind all of these different things happening in Corinth and Ephesus and the life of Apollos and Paul and in Rome. God is using them in profound ways that they could have never imagined I mean, they cast a long shadow across the landscape of Christianity in the very beginnings of the church. 
so many different people in so many different places as they use their business and their relationships and their influence and their finances and their time for the mission of Jesus to where they're behind so much of what God is doing. And where even today, the Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, and the Protestant Church honors and praises Priscilla and Aquila for their focus and for the way that they lived their lives for the sake of Jesus and His message. It's astounding. It's amazing. And when we look at their life, we can see that there are some factors that are not only true of them, but are true of every viral movement regarding Christianity. When the, when, the, when the message of Jesus goes viral, when the church goes viral in a city or in a country, there are some things that happen in the life of the people. And we see it in their life. And the first thing is this. The church lives life together. You see, in the example of Priscilla and Aquila, they not only live life together with people in the church, but also people in the marketplace. They live life with people around them. They don't isolate themselves away. They don't close themselves off. They don't have just a few people that they like and they have similar interests, so they'll spend time with them, but everybody else they ignore. They invest in people around them. Whoever God puts them around, they invest in. No matter whether they're in Rome or in Corinth or in Ephesus, they live life with people. Now, community is a buzzword for us. This idea of you know, being in community with one another, it's almost like a marketing scheme. It's like, hey, sign up for our bank. We provide great community. You know, Capital One Cafe, it's like, we want your money, but we're going to give you a co-working space and coffee for free. By the way, there's free happy hour coffee if you have a Capital One card. Pretty amazing. Community. <laughs> Wonderful. We love community. It's exciting. We want it. We crave it. If I were to say, raise your hand if you like community and if you want community, we'd all raise our hand. Or maybe here, a lot of you would be like a little bit of a raised hand. Not all the way up and not fully there. You're just kind of halfway there. But there's a, a quote that I was reading this week when I was thinking about community and our desire and love of community. And it's from Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He is a, a German pastor, theologian, scholar, anti-Nazi dissident. And he writes this. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy it. But the person who loves those around them will create community. It's challenging. The person who loves community, they talk about community, they try to build community, they love this dream of community, will actually be the person that destroys it. But the person who just loves people around them, doesn't close themselves off, lives life together with others, will in fact create community. And we see that in Priscilla and Aquila in two ways. One, in their relationship with Paul. Paul was a dear friend to them. They invested in Paul. They sacrificed for Paul. At some point, they literally risked their lives for him. We don't know what took place, but we know that Paul feels indebted to them. That this took real sacrifice to risk their neck for a friend, for someone that they were living life with. Now, most of us in this room will not have the opportunity to literally risk our neck or our lives for another person. But I love that he puts it that way, risk their neck, because that's a phrase that we use. All of us in this room will have an opportunity to risk our neck for someone else, whether it's to risk your reputation, to risk your promotion, 
to risk your finances, to risk your comfort. All of us will have opportunities when we open ourselves up to love people, we live life with people, both here in the church, in your office, wherever you, God has you, will you love people and live life together with people, you will have an opportunity to risk your neck, to risk your ego, to risk your time, to risk your talents, to risk your treasure, to risk your leisure. And when the church is willing to risk their neck for those that they're living life with, it's one of the factors of it going viral. But not only risking your neck, also speaking truth. So another marker of living life together with people is that you're willing to speak truth. Now, Priscilla and Aquila become friends with Apollos, who is this passion communicator. He's excited. And they had to have said to each other, okay, we need to kind of correct his theology and his doctrine. He's a little off. We know that's for his good, but how's he going to take that? I mean, this, this guy's got a fervent spirit. He may start yelling. He may just cast us out. He may try to defame our name and our business. I don't know what's going to happen. He has a lot of influence, but they're willing to take that step. They're willing to say, it is for his good that we speak truth to him. And they pull him aside and they correct him in the way of the Lord. And praise God that Apollos was humble enough to receive it. Now, this is also true. Every one of us in this room will have opportunities to speak truth to people that we live life together with. And it is not easy. It is not comfortable. It's not fun. But if you are actually engaged with someone where you're living life with them and you love them, then you're willing to do something very difficult and speak truth to them because you know it's for their good. You see, this is one of the main factors of when the message of Jesus goes viral in a city and through a community is that they're living life together, not only in the church, but also wherever God has them in the marketplace, in their company, and they're willing to risk their neck for people, and they're willing to speak truth to people. The second factor is that you see people own the mission. There's an ownership of the mission of Jesus. See, Priscilla and Aquila own the mission of Jesus wherever they went. It was their identity. It doesn't matter whether they were in Rome or Ephesus or Corinth. They owned the mission. When they got booted out of Rome, they didn't think, God, why did you do this? I'm so upset at you, and I'm just I'm going to kind of, I'm done with that. We were doing it there. I'm just going to kind of reestablish my life here in Corinth, and later on I'll own the mission. Or wherever they went, they owned the mission of Jesus as their identity. There's a book called Atomic Habits, and has anyone read Atomic Habits? It's a great book if you're interested in achieving goals and running after a mission and change. But there's a part in the book where the author talks about the most effective way to chase after a mission, to accomplish a goal or to see change in your life. He says the first one is the least effective, and that is when you set a goal. It's what happens at New Year's. We all set goals for the year. I want to lose 20 pounds. And then you say, I'm just going to run a few times a week. I'm going to do these things, and that's my goal. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. Once I lose 20 pounds, then I will accomplish the goal. That is the least effective way of accomplishing change or running after a mission. And we all know that because how many of your New Year's resolutions are still intact? The second is a little bit more effective, but still not very effective, and that is you set a goal with accountability. I'm going to lose 20 pounds, and I'm going to do it with my friend. We're going to work out together. We're going to hold each other accountable. We're going to make sure that we're choosing fruit and not fries. We're, going to, we're really going to do it. 
It's a little bit more effective, but it's still not the most effective way to see change in your life and to run after a mission. The author says the most effective way is to focus on who you wish to become. It is not to set a goal, I want to lose 20 pounds, I'm going to lose 20 pounds and I'm going to have accountability. It is to say, I am a healthy person and I'm going to live healthy. And to then acclimate everything around your identity. I am healthy. And see here, Priscilla and Aquila didn't just set a goal. They didn't just have accountability for their goals of what God is calling them to do. They said, no, we are followers of Jesus, and our calling is to go and make disciples. It is to focus on the message and the mission of Jesus, to focus on people, to focus on change, and that's who we are, and that's how we're going to live. Everything in our life will be oriented around that identity. I want to ask you to, to picture this. Some of you don't have to because you are married, but when you get married, you put a ring on your finger, and the ring on your finger is a symbol. It is a marker of your identity. You are married, and you are committed to another person. That is a big part of who you are. Now, how would you feel if someone who was married took off their ring when they went on business trips? When they went to different events or social functions or they went to the gym, they just took off their ring at different times. How would you feel about that person? How would you feel about that person? You would not, you're like, I, I want to kill that person right now. <laughs> See, why is it so off-putting when you think about somebody removing their ring at different moments in time? It's because it's not their identity. They're making a statement that their identity is that they're married, and yet they're living opposite. They're doing something completely opposite of what they are marked by, what their identity is. Whether or not you agree politically with what is taking place and what happened in the last week, there was a reason that Mitt Romney went viral. Because he made a very hard decision that was based upon who, what he believed his beliefs and his identity was. It was not easy. It was against what everybody in his camp and his political party wanted him to do, but he had to be a person of integrity. That's why he made that decision. You can agree or disagree with it, but it is profound when someone lives according to their identity and they're willing to be bold in that, when they're willing to live that way and to orient things around who they believe themselves to be. You see, we have become desensitized in our culture to what it looks like to live with integrity as a Christian. Priscilla and Aquila's are rare. We have one, we have one that I can think of, and her name is Debbie Peterson. <laughs> Amazing. It's for real. But we, they're rare because we've been desensitized. We think that we can just take the ring of our faith on and off in different places. I, I, I will live out the mission of Jesus here, but not here. I will act and, and let people know I'm a Christian. I will focus on the message of Jesus here because it's a little bit more comfortable, but certainly not over here. We take it on and off, but we're marked through our faith as a follower of Christ who's been called into a mission. It's our identity. Priscilla and Aquila understood that, and they lived that out no matter where they went. And when the church goes viral, when the message of Jesus goes viral, it's people own the mission of Jesus, no matter where they go. They live life together, they own the mission, and then lastly, they seize opportunities. Priscilla and Aquila seized every opportunity where they were. 
They use their influence. They use their time. They use their finances. They use their house. They use their business. Everything in their life they used for the mission of Jesus, and they seized every opportunity to build a relationship with Paul, to build a relationship with Apollos, with different people in the city where God had them. And no matter where they were placed, no matter how long they knew they were there, they seized the opportunity in Corinth and Ephesus. This is challenging because a lot of us in this room treat Miami like a long layover. Don't know how long we're here, here for a couple years, maybe a few months. You're already thinking about where God might take you and where he may place you and where you may invest later. And so what happens is we don't invest in living life together in the city. We don't live out our take ownership of the mission of Jesus in the city because we're not seizing the opportunity of where God has us. So I think one day when I actually know my neighbors and I have a house and I have a stable job and I don't think I'm going anywhere else, then I will seize the opportunities to live life with people and to own the mission of Jesus. But that is not the example of Priscilla and Aquila. It is not the example of Scripture. It is not the calling of Scripture. And the, the message of Jesus will never go viral if the church in a city believes that they're just on a long layover and we're not willing to seize the opportunities before us. It's a challenge. And I think that when you seize opportunities, no matter how long you're in a city, in your workplace, in your friend circles, it's because you answer a question correctly. And that is this question. Who do you work for? If I were to ask you, who do you work for, how would you answer that question? Many of us would say our company. We would say our family's expectations. We would say our personal ambition. We would say our kids' future. We would say the approval of others. Who do you work for? Now see, if you answer that question with anything other than Jesus, you will seize opportunities for the person that you work for. If you work for your personal ambition, you will seize opportunities for your personal ambition. If you work for a company, you will seize opportunities for your company. If you work for the approval of others and for your family's expectations of you, you will work for and seize opportunities for them. But you don't work for any of them. You work for Jesus. If you believe in faith in Christ, that's who you work for. And when you own that, and when you know that, then you seize every opportunity for Jesus, not for your company, not for the approval of others, not for your own personal ambition. And not that those things are bad, but ultimately it's not who you work for. You work for Jesus. The message of Jesus will go viral, and it can go viral here in Miami when we live life together, when we own the mission of Jesus, we seize opportunities because we work for him. We've been called and sent out. I left something out, which is that Christianity and the message of Christ always goes viral through a collection of people, not just one person or through a couple, but a whole bunch of people. See here in Romans 16, Paul lists a whole bunch of people. If you want a fun exercise, go home and try to read all these names, names you will never name your children if you're going to have kids in the future, like Andronicus and Amphilatus and Urbanus. I mean, there's a person's name here who is Phlegon. I mean, that's a name, Phlegon. But Paul lists all these people, and he says honor and praise all these people because of what they've done for the church, not only in Rome, but wherever they were, they lived life with people, they owned the mission of Jesus, and they seized opportunities, and God used all these people, and many more, because Paul had to, at some point, end the letter. 
All these people and many more are deserving of honor and praise because God used them in powerful and profound ways. Incredible. There's such a very interesting point that he makes in here. And he says something striking. He says, praise multiple people. Be grateful for multiple people because they worked hard. You see, we live in a culture that praises success and the church praises hard work. That's very different. We are praised in our career and in the city and social media when we succeed at something. And yet, in the church, we praise hard work. And we don't praise hard work because we have to earn God's love. We could never earn God's love. We don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do. There's no amount of goodness that we can offer God to be received and be forgiven. We work hard because Jesus has already done the work for us. He has already done the work on the cross for you and for me, for your sin and my sin, for your shame and my shame. He has taken it away. And we are free and forgiven as followers of Christ. And because we are free and forgiven, we can work hard for the mission of Jesus because we know that the results don't have any effect on our salvation. You see, many of us here will not have the impact of Priscilla and Aquila. But that's okay. Because the church honors hard work and God uses all of it. He uses all different people that have different levels of impact, visible impact, but all the impact is used together. You see, if the the message of Jesus is going to go viral, it will take you, and it will take you, it will take you, it will take you, and you, and you, and you, and me. It takes all of us to work hard for the gospel and to own it, because this is the truth. It is a privilege to give your time and attention, your talent and your treasure for the mission of Jesus, because if you believe in Christ, it is your identity. And it is amazing to see how God can use you. God does not need you. The message of Jesus going viral is not up to you, but God wants to use you. He wants to use us together. And I pray that you would believe that God can do something incredible here in Miami. I think it is already underway that what is happening in the Southern Hemisphere can happen here. We have to live life together. We have to own the mission. We have to seize opportunities. And we have to be okay with not being recognized for success, but just for hard work. Because Jesus has done the work for us. Will you pray with me? God, we want to confess as a church, I want to confess that there are many times where I don't live according to the identity that you've given me. Lord, through faith, you have changed my identity. I'm a son of the king. I am forgiven. I am loved. And I am sent out. God, would you help me to see, would you help all of us to see that we are sent into every place that you have us. We are sent into our office, into our social circles, into our families. We are sent to businesses. We are sent on business trips. We are sent, even when we're on vacation, God, we are sent by you. Would we seize those opportunities, Lord, we own the mission and see the joy and excitement of it. And when we just love people around us, live life with people around us, God, we thank you that we don't have to worry about our results 
affecting your love for us, that we are fully loved by you. And so we are free to work hard and to ask you to bless and to affect the ministry and the opportunities that you present before us. God, we pray that we would see the church go viral here in Miami and businesses in many different places. God, we pray that we would see that at the end of this year. We trust you. We know that you're faithful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.